0: I am publishing my memories of Śrīla Prabhupāda when I have so few of them. I joined its score in 1975 when Śrīla Prabhupāda was established as a great world acharya and it's going to have many branches worldwide there was no At that time Prabhupada had several thousand disciples and there was no <clears throat> Prabhupada had several thousand disciples of whom. very personal access to him. For the rank-and-file devotees, there was no question of just walking up to Prabhupada and talking to him in a very familiar way. We were informed by our leaders that Prabhupada didn't want to be disturbed with many petty or, or many many ordinary questions that could be answered by his senior disciples and that he was very busy travelling and preaching and wanted to have as much time as possible free for his book translation. His most important work. So we all respected that. We were told also that by serving Prabhupada, especially by distributing his books, he would be pleased. So we all respected that. And we did get Prabhupada's personal association by seeing him in classes and darshan's. In this way he gave his association, his personal association freely to everybody. And he told that, what we we heard many times, that serving the Vani is more important than serving the Vapu. So, for this reason, even though I saw Prabhupada several times before he passed away on November the 14th, 1977, I don't have many personal memories of Srila Prabhupada. In fact, I I was only in the room alone with him once when he gave me my Gayatri initiation and he told me the Gayatri Mantra. However, it is not that because my memories of Srila Prabhupada are few that they are insignificant. Everything Prabhupada said and did is of unlimited significance. Especially, of course, to me, the things that I personally heard Prabhupada say and saw him do have special significance to me. Also, many devotees ask me about my personal memories of Srila Prabhupada so whatever I may have to say they see them as being significant otherwise why would why would they ask the fact that they are so eager to hear what Srila Prabhupada testifies to the greatness of Srila Prabhupada that as an Iskcon Sannyasi and a direct disciple of Srila Prabhupada I am honored and respected by devotees everywhere especially those who never personally saw to the Prabhupada who joined this world after his departure that also testifies to the greatness of Prabhupada people respect me or any other Prabhupada disciple because of our relationship with Prabhupada otherwise before meeting Prabhupada we were all Ordinary people. We were all destined for the lowest species of life. But Prabhupada saved us. We should never forget that we are all made of Prabhupada's mercy. As much as we remember this and go on boldly, enthusiastically propagating his mission, that much the Krishna Consciousness will be successful. And as much as we forget from where or, to, or through whom the potency to spread Krishna consciousness is coming. That much. If if we forget through whom the potency for spreading Krishna consciousness is coming. We will simply have to suffer due to not linking properly with the source of all our blessings. Yet another reason for publishing my memories of Śrīla Prabhupāda, even though they'd be so few, is to encourage other devotees who have personal memories of Śrīla Prabhupāda to publish their personal memories of Śrīla Prabhupāda. Many devotees had extensive association with Prabhupāda. Others had less and others still, like myself, very little. But if everyone publishes their book, if everyone publishes their memories, then we will have a vast treasure house of anecdotes of Srila Prabhupada that will be instructive, informative, and enlivening to all. Therefore, by publishing this little booklet, I would also like to encourage all devotees to also publish their memories of Even those who have very few memories, if there are many such devotees like that, they all publish their memories, then Together, their contribution will be significant, not only in quality. In quality, automatically there's, a but in quantity also. If many devotees come together, uh, what to speak of those devotees who had many hours and days and months and years of association. My first I first met Srila Prabhupada in the form of one of his books Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Volume two with shockingly bright and colourful cover and a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture of Krishna and Balaram on the cover and a not less beautiful picture of Srila Prabhupada on the back. About two years earlier to that I had first seen Srila Prabhupada's books. My best friend at school had bought some books from devotees in Oxford Street. He wanted to show them to me, but I didn't even want to look, saying that all all these Indian swamis are all cheaters. But this time, but by this time somehow or other, my attitude had changed, and I was ready to not only look at the book, but read it, in a submissive spirit I didn't understand much of the book I found much of the language difficult <coughs> and the Indian proper names I found it a little difficult to unfamiliarity with the Indian proper names also made it somewhat difficult reading, but there was one instruction that Prabhupāda gave in there which I started to follow, at least in a very small way, which was to chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. After reading that book, I decided to visit the devotees. Therefore, I next met Srila Prabhupada in the form of his devotees and his movement. I was fortunate enough to be accepted into the community of devotees at Bhaktivedanta Lana near London in April 1975. To say that I met Prabhupada in the form of his devotees is not simply, what's the word for that, euphemism, that kind of nice saying. But actually, the devotees at that time were always talking about Śrīla Prabhupāda very happily, with great reverence and faith and affection. They would teach me philosophy and practical things too, saying that Śrīla Prabhupāda said this, he said to do like that. It was very exciting, Prabhupada was traveling all over the world and we get news, Prabhupada is now here, he's going there mostly devotees going from America to India or wherever Prabhupada was, going or coming in that time particularly our movement was very much dominated by America and American devotees they would generally come through London so we would often get news of devotees who had been with Prabhupada just a few days previously and we get all the we'd get all the latest news. In those days there was not so much communication by phone. Prabhupada discouraged the use of much international phone calls and there was no call or fax. So when a devotee came through, got information of Prabhupada what exciting things Prabhupada had said, what new new books, what new books he was writing, some revelation he had made, some new plan for spreading Krishna consciousness, some chastisement or encouragement, some wonderful thing, some wonderful pastime. Always devotees are talking about Prabhupada, and they're always in our temples or in our traveling Sankirtan buses, we only heard cassettes of Prabhupada speaking or chanting. The whole movement was saturated with Prabhupada consciousness. That summer, uh, so I, I started worshiping Prabhupada, respecting him as my guru, Of course, in those days there was only one guru in his God, Prabhupada. I didn't know much about what it meant to be a disciple. But anyway, Prabhupada was my guru. And we were all disciples of Prabhupada. And it was like this going on for some time. And somehow in my and I was told that Prabhupada came from time to time, but when I heard that Prabhupada was coming, I really didn't know what to expect. The news came that Prabhupada was coming that summer, he came a few days before he was scheduled to arrive, and the excitement that spread through the temple, The way everyone got lifted up and then, devotee, just before Prabhupada, he heard he, Prabhupada was in Paris and, or somewhere else in Europe, then he arrived. And, uh, devotees have been cleaning up, painting, everything about giving down to them. Now, as far as I remember, Prabhupada came once in the summer of 1975 and once in the summer of 1976 but I'm not quite sure if he came in 76. I have to check that out. But I think he did. And if so, then the incidents of 75 and 76 are getting mixed up in my mind. Maybe he only came in 75. I'll have to check that out. Anyway, what happened was practically all the devotees went out to the airport to meet Prabhupada and we were, there was Heathrow Airport, and we were doing kirtan as far as I remember, Prabhupada was supposed to arrive, then he cancelled it till a day later then when he arrived somehow or other we were chanting and waiting and waiting and waiting and all of a sudden Aikesh Maharaj came out, at that time he was still a brahmachari, and told us that we had been waiting at the wrong terminal, that Prabhupada had already arrived, and he had already left for the manor. So it was anticlimatically. We all, we were supposed to meet Prabhupada, have a big kirtan. And then rushed back to the manor to again meet him at the manor. But that was all spoiled. So then, we didn't see Prabhupada till the next morning. He was there, and other devotees were seeing him, but uh, even though Prabhupada, somehow it was that he was kind of. Like I said, you can't just walk in. Kind of restricted feeling. So anyway, I first saw Prabhupada the next morning when he was coming down the stairs at Bhaktivedanta Manor from his personal quarters to take darshan of the deities. Now, my first impression that went through my head for a split second was rather mundane. You can imagine I was expecting to see Prabhupada and so many thoughts were there. My first impression was somewhat mundane because I was surprised that Prabhupada looked so shocked. Actually from the physical point of view Prabhupada was quite short and especially as he was flanked by Harikesh Maharaj, who is very tall, and Brahmananda Maharaj, who is also quite tall and very big bodied. So Prabhupada looked physically quite small. That was the first thought of push made my mind because when you hear Prabhupada how powerfully he's speaking and you how He's ordering everyone, uh, he's, he's very, obviously a very strong personality. So I was, uh, that flashed in my mind for a moment, but then, that surprised, and then immediately, I adjusted my thoughts, realizing that that was not a proper way to judge one's great spiritual personality from external point of view. Now, when Prabhupada came down, was coming down the stairs, everyone was bowing down, but I didn't, because I, because I thought, let me see Prabhupada. So I, I looked at Prabhupada, and that, the first impression also very effulgent personality. As if effulgence was coming from his body. Prabhupada was, it was as if he, was, as if he was looking down, and looking, he was looking very grave. He was walking slowly and regally. So I looked at him for a few seconds and then I also bowed down. Then Prabhupada went into the temple room. And many devotees were also waiting in the temple room. Prabhupada walked in very gravely leaving his slippers at the door and the kirtana had been going on and Prabhupada walked in and the kirtana stopped and the temple room was full and the devotees were... Prabhupada's very grave, and the devotees were also... They also became very grave. And in a mood... The, the, the deities were already open. And in a mood of great... Awe and reverence. All the devotees bowed down. It was... It was... They left, they left a line... In the middle, for Prabhupada. Mm. He left his line in the middle, and I am in the middle for Prabhupada to walk through. All of a sudden, all the devotees were down on the ground. I, I just squeezed in after Prabhupada and so many others went through the door. And Prabhupada went, and I remember standing behind and watching. As Prabhupada walked up behind so many devotees went to the front to Darshan the deities took Charnamada and I don't remember Prabhupada accepting Guru Pooja although I'm sure he did then uh, Prabhupada I can't remember whether he chanted ever first or afterwards but he was sitting on the sand in the temple room of Bhaktivedanta Manu. It's a very long temple room. It's a long temple room with a high Vyasasana at the back. So Prabhupada sitting on a high Vyasasana, looking at the deities. And he just looked at the deities without saying anything for quite a long time. Then he, start, he started talking about how beautiful the deities were. He, you're some very nectarian things, which I I'll have to ask some other devotees who were there at the time if they can remember this also, because uh, doesn't seem to be in our in our Bhaktivedanta archives books. Prabhupada was talking about the the uh, Duty of the deities. Now, other things that happened in England, I can't. Again, I can't remember. If it was seventy-five or seventy-six? Maybe it was only seventy-five. Prabhupada, he stayed a, a few days, and uh, maybe two, three, maybe two days three days maybe and I I managed to get on one morning walk with him but he didn't there, there was about maybe 30 devotees accompanied him it seemed that they were discouraging devotees from coming otherwise there would have been about more than 200 devotees so someone had told me not to come but someone else I saw someone else who had been told not to come going anyway, so I also went along. And when I went along, no one made any objection. But uh, Prabhupada didn't say hardly anything on that morning walk. Just he chanted little japa. And my main memory of that is... trying to uh, see Prabhupada at all because there are so many devotees around him. Most of them much more, very, very senior devotees compared to myself. And I couldn't just barge in the middle of them all. So I was kind of at the outside of the group. Then uh, I remember that in his Prabhupada gave Uh, I think twice I was in the darshan room Prabhupada gave a darshan now once I remember this that he uh, his servant I think it must have been Nanda Kumar his traveling servant was sitting in front of Prabhupada chanting his beads with his beads, he was holding them uh, in both his hands without using a bead bag. So Prabhupada, darshan was going on. There were some questions and answers. His devotee's darshan, as far as I remember, it was in the morning. And Prabhupada asked his servant, where is your bead bag? And the servant replied, uh, It's being washed, Prabhupada. So Prabhupada called to another of his retinue, I think it was Hari Kesha and told him to give these, the Nanda Kumar another. He said, uh, So many bead bags have been given. Give one to him. So that, that bead bag was given One of Prabhupada's bead bags that he'd received as a gift was given to Manakamaram. Prabhupada said, you should keep two bead bags, always churn with your beads in a bead bag. When one is being washed, use the other one. Now, I was also present during the famous interview with Mike Robinson of the London Broadcasting Corporation, a radio company which was held in the Bhaktivedanta manana, Srila Prabhupada's darshan. There were many devotees present during this. And Mike Robinson was very submissive to Prabhupada. Prabhupada uh, was almost trying to push him to use a seat, but he preferred to sit down on the floor in humility before Prabhupada. And his attitude was in speaking to Prabhupada was very humble, almost like a disciple. And Prabhupada also dealt with him like that, he preached to him almost as if he was a disciple. He was quite uh, strong in the way he spoke with him, not strong in using harsh words, but the manner. There's no Mike Robinson was there to ask questions, there's no doubt that Prabhupada is in command of the whole proceedings. I remember also at this time that uh, I noticed how Mukunda, now Mukunda Goswami, how he was also very, he was very close to Prabhupada, and Prabhupada was dealing with him very personally. I didn't realize at that time because Mukunda kept such a humble profile. I didn't realize what a senior devotee he was. Or, or I was a little surprised to see how he was so close to Prabhupada I didn't know the whole history of the movement at that time I remember also some Indian guests came to see Prabhupada during one of these darshans. Prabhupada spoke to them a little and I remember specifically him saying give them some prasadam when they left I was struck by that that Prabhupada was concerned they get some prasadam there's also an incident which I've described in my book, Jai Shila Prabhupada, under the title An Unforgettable Memory, when Prabhupada looked right through me. That also happened in his darshan room at the manor. At the end of one of these darshan's, uh, I gave a little gift to Prabhupada. I saw that different devotees were giving Prabhupada many nice gifts. I was a penniless brahmachari, but I had remembered reading in the lecture of devotion that one should give the deity, one should offer to the deity something that is very dear to oneself. So I didn't have practically any possessions. But one thing that was dear to me was a small picture I had of Nanda the deity of Krishna in our central London temple. So, I decided to give that to Prabhupada. Now, actually I should have got the picture framed nicely and wrapped in some nice paper, but I didn't know any of these things of the etiquette. So, different devotees were standing in line at the end of the darshan to, to uh, offer their obeisances to Prabhupada one devotee in front of me gave a flower then I gave this photo and offered my obeisances in this I was hoping that Prabhupada might acknowledge it but he didn't say anything just slightly nodded his head My next memories of Srila Prabhupada are in India where I went to attend the Mayapur Vrindavan Festival in 1976. I had contracted hepatitis from a devotee who had returned from Africa to England with hepatitis and I first felt the effects of that while on the plane going from England to India. Hepatitis is a very debilitating disease, so I I was very sick and weak during the Mayapur section of the festival especially. And my only memories of Prabhupada in Mayapur at that time was of myself being in a temple, a large temple room packed with devotees listening to Srila Prabhupada giving class. Next, in Vrindavan, also Prabhupada was giving class. The devotees, the Prabhupada was lecturing all this time on the seventh canto of Bhagavatam, which hadn't been published at that time. Prabhupada was working on translating on it, and He was also translating from it. And the devotees were saying, I think it was Hari Keshwaramara who said that Prabhupada is completely absorbed in the mood of Palad Maharaj Prabhupada was speaking on this section the Pallad Pachyan so Hare Maharaj I think it was noted that Prabhupada was in the mood of Palad Maharaj that mood of compassion for the fallen living beings and wanted to save them preach to them so I remember Prabhupada uh, given the class, he would chant Raja Ma- Radha Madhava. The temple room there is somewhat smaller, so I was able to get somewhat closer to Prabhupada. Still not very close, <laughs> but I uh, could see Prabhupada chanting Jai Radha shaking his head in great concentration as he chanted. Incomparable. And Nitai Chand, who was a young Brahmachai at that time, and it, it, Quite trim looking at that time, he would stand on Prabhupada's right hand side and play the Vedanga in a very intricate and manner, stand there looking very grand. I remember <laughs> Prabhupada spoke on many things during the festival, but I particularly remember I was somewhat shocked at how directly and strongly Prabhupada was speaking in one particular lecture which I've looked up in the Sivad Bhagavatam lecture book this is a lecture on Canto 7 of Sivad Bhagavatam chapter, chapter 9, text 47 on April the 2nd 1976 Prabhupada was talking about how it's not possible to imitate great devotees like Kaidash Thakkar and go away and chant on one's own. Prophet said that that will that's not possible for us to do. We have to engage in some active service. He was recommending we should work actively for understanding Krishna, particularly he mentioned about book distribution. Now as far as I remember this was on the day that we were all scheduled to go on Purikara by bus to Radha Kund so that particularly struck me how how Prabhupada was speaking very strongly about that it means the devotees would they'd, they'd attend a class in the morning all the time before, and then they'd go up by bus to different places and Prabhupada wouldn't go with them but some senior devotees who were familiar with Vindavan would speak about some of the pastime places and mostly we'd read from Prabhupada's books we, we didn't get into talking about so many so many different pastimes but mostly everything was told was on the basis of Prabhupada's books in those days so was uh, warning like that and I'd heard this could be checked but I'd heard that Prabhupada had said that if you think you can sit in one place and chant you, you you, cannot do that you'll simply eat and sleep and think of women and money and fall down Prabhupada had said I'd heard this, Prabhupada said this at this festival warning devotees not to be lured into the kind of Babaji life that they saw devotees practicing in Vrindavan. So Prabhupada said, there are already so many monkeys and hogs and dogs in Vrindavan. Don't you become another one of them. He said, don't act like a monkey. Don't try to jump over your spiritual master. At that festival also, Prabhupada held a big initiation ceremony. There's a photo of that in Transcendental Diary by Hari Shauri from, I think, volume one, in which I was seated in the front row. There are many devotees present. There are many devotees who were getting initiated. Uh, I took, I got Gayatri initiation, and many devotees were initiated. Many other devotees were present. I was held in the courtyard of Krishna Balaram Temple, which is practically full. Now, I remember it was a hot sun. This was... Early April, and the sun was quite hot. And Akshayananda Swami was doing the fire sacrifice, and Prabhupada was sitting on his microphone. Uh, it's Prabhupada was sitting on his Vyasa san. And uh, I, I was surprised how, especially Akshayananda, could tolerate sitting next to the hot fire in the hot sun. In that time I wasn't accustomed to the hot sun in India. Anyway, the whole sacrifice was going on with swaha, this, that. All of a sudden, Prabhupada leaned in, leaned forward and spoke into the microphone and said, stop. And the whole, all the swaha, everything stopped. Prabhupada pointed to the back of the courtyard to one young lady devotee, western, those days almost all our devotees were westerners who had a small child with her. The the child was maybe less than one year old. Certainly not more than two. The Prabhupada said, this child has his hand in his mouth. He is contaminating the whole sacrifice. Take him out, wash his hand, and teach him not to put his hand in his mouth. Continue. Then all the swaha and everything continued again. Now, as there are many initiates, Gayatri-initiates, Prabhupada was giving just a few people, he was personally giving the mantra to everybody, but just a few every day, and I I think it was a week or more before I got my... before I finally got my initiation mantra from Prabhupada. I'd, I'd sat in the sacrifice, but I was still waiting to get the mantras. So I was waiting with a group of devotees, and then one by one they went in, and I was the last, and then Krishna Swami, who was Prabhupada's secretary at that time, said, Prabhupada's not seeing anyone today, come again tomorrow. So I was disappointed. And then Krishna seemed to reconsider, and he went in, and saw Prabhupada, and then he told me to go in. I was the last one in that group. Before I went in, Prakash uh, Krishna, Krishna told me to remove some neck beads I was wearing. The, the, the current fashion at that time among devotees, the ISKCON fashions in those days also, was to wear these black earthen beads from Radha Kund. Prakash Krishna, Krishna told me to take them out off because he said Prabhupada didn't like them. So I went into Prabhupada's room and. Amazingly, I was alone with Prabhupada, so I uh, bowed down before Prabhupada, and uh, Prabhupada told me to raise my right arm, and he put the thread on me, and I was a little slow in understanding what Prabhupada wanted me to do, and seemed like Prabhupada seemed to think I was a little foolish I was of course very nervous being along with Prabhupada then Prabhupada gave me a sheet with the words written of the mantras and he told me to repeat them after him and he started to say them oh another thing he told first of all he was telling me how to sit he wanted me to sit in exactly the right position and exactly the My distance and I was I I I was I just he had to tell me about three four times to to get it right and then he told me to put my arm up and somehow I was very nervous and Prabhupada seemed a little impatient and seemed to he seemed to think I was quite stupid which of course I was so then he uh, started he gave me the sheet and started to say the words one by one now I had prided myself upon being quite good in Sanskrit pronunciation so I was a little peeved when almost every word Prabhupada corrected my pronunciation sometimes two or three times but then after after going through one or two mantras Prabhupada stopped correcting me like he seemed to think it was kind of like a hopeless case and just let me go on with my mispronunciations so then we went through the whole ten mantras sorry, seven mantras and Prabhupada told me showed me how to count with the fingers holding the thread and told me to chant these mantras three times a day, morning, noon and evening and Prabhupada asked do you have any question? Now, we had. myself and some other devotees had heard. We were very. myself and Park, my godfather, we, we joined more or less the same time in London. And we were friends on book distribution and we'd come together to India, having been promised that the top two book distributors could come to the Mayapur festival. So we were together. And we, in India also, and we'd heard that in the Bhakti Vallas it said there are so many rules for chanting Gayatri. You should chant within a certain time of the sunrise and sunset, and the certain time when the sun's in between the sun reaching the meridian and again coming down. For it. it should be quite exact about the, the time when you chant your Gayatri. and There are different rules. Standing, sitting at different standing or sitting at different times, facing in different directions, which direction your thumb should be, and whereabouts you should, the position of your hand at different times during the day. We were quite excited by hearing all these things. We thought it was something very wonderful, getting this mystical Gayatri mantra, and there are so many different rules which we hadn't s- seen anyone following, but we thought it, that it might be something very wonderful if we could learn all these rules and follow them. So when Prabhupada asked me do you have any question then because I wanted to ask about all these different rules about the direction you faced in and the exact timing so first of all I asked Prabhupada when should we chant these mantras and Prabhupada just told me morning, noon and evening but my intention was to find out exactly when so Prabhupada looked at me a little surprised because he just told me chant morning, noon and evening. And then I asked him when should we chant and Prabhupada said morning, noon and evening. But then I persisted and said Prabhupada, is there any exact time when we should chant? Prabhupada looked at me and sternly said morning, noon and evening. After that I didn't want to ask any more questions about these intricacies of chanting Gachi Mantra and I simply said Yes Srila Prabhupada and feeling very foolish, which I was, I offered my obeisances and left his room. And then I went after after the festival I went back to England, but in nineteen in August nineteen seventy seven I came back to India with Trivigram Swami with the intention of staying in India for preaching which more or less I did although of course I spent many years in Bangladesh and, and different places in Southeast Asia I more or less stayed in the India area anyway after arriving in Delhi before long we were on a bus to Vrindavan to take Darsana Prabhupada which we did very briefly, I have very little memory of that, dasha and I was still jet-lagged and bus-shaken, and uh, I didn't realize my great good fortune in seeing Prabhupada, and I didn't know that I would hardly be seeing him again. So, after quickly gone for Dasha we went back to Delhi, to Delhi, and on with service. The last darshan I had of Prabhupada was in October of 1977, just about one month before Prabhupada left. I had been with the BBT Library Party, which was uh, just winding up its activities in India. We were in Allahabad, and Yagya, the leader of the party, suddenly said, let's go and take darshan of Prabhupada. So we did. We drove pretty much all day and in the evening or early evening arrived in Vrindavan I was surprised how easy it was to go into Prabhupada's room there were quite a lot of devotees there and there was sweet kirtan going on but I was surprised to see Prabhupada I'd I'd never seen him looking so weak and thin and I'd never expected him to be looking like that if it had been any other person anyone would have said that this is a person who's about to leave their body but in Prabhupada's case my But but seeing Prabhupada, myself, and as much as I know most other devotees, we never thought that Prabhupada was going to leave. So in one sense we weren't so disturbed by seeing Prabhupada that we thought it was some kind of lila and that Prabhupada was going to recover and lead this movement. We could... We never... It was amazing. Even though Prabhupada was lying on the bed, he wasn't eating. But... uh, we, ne- we, we never could imagine that Prabhupada would leave. We just didn't think it was possible. It just didn't even enter our just didn't even enter our thoughts. There was no question of Ikon without Prabhupada being personally there to lead us and guide us. Anyway, that evening, Prabhupada sat up in bed, which means he asked some of his disciples to lift him up and sit him up and he took something to eat. I can't remember what it was. And he was going to take something to eat. And then before he took, he started saying sharira jal and he said the whole verse. And then instead of eating, he started lecturing to the devotees about how the senses are very dangerous. He was speaking very slowly, but with spiritual vigor. Now, I didn't know this until many years later. But actually, this was the first time that Prabhupada had eaten anything for quite a few weeks. So this was quite an event. What struck me is that Prabhupada, he'd been preaching so many years all over the world, And here he was with so many senior devotees from all over the world, in Vrindavan, and he was still preaching the most basic thing, that we have to control the senses. That made an impression on me. However, the next morning, I left Vrindavan to join the book distribution to go to Bengal to join the book distribution mission there. Subsequently spent several years in West Bengal, in in Bengal, both in West Bengal and Bangladesh. I never physically saw Prabhupada again. Because we have been trained to serve the of Prabhupada, And knowing that Prabhupada liked distribution very much, we felt connected to Prabhupada in executing services in his mission. I personally felt the presence of Prabhupada very strongly, sometimes when I was in Bangladesh when I had no real association sometimes for weeks on end under very difficult circumstances in those difficulties I felt Prabhupada was I often felt that Prabhupada was with me and that was the only thing that helped me to keep on going particularly I remember after one very difficult trip I'd been traveling alone and there'd been many, many difficulties compounded by the lack of association. There's so many difficulties preaching in Bangladesh at that time which it's not really within the scope of this book to get into. But I remember coming back on a on a crowded but going back to Dhaka the capital city where we had our center after being out for some time alone preaching and it was an it was an all day bus journey over bumpy roads in the heat with a very noisy bus with people talking loudly and smoking and goats and chickens in the bus and I was also feeling sick I'd been very sick before and suddenly I thought, why, why am I doing this? And for a little time I was bewildered. But actually, yeah, why am I doing this? And then I remembered, I'm doing this for Srila Prabhupada. And then all the difficulties seemed as if insignificant. Rather, it seemed like it was a great privilege to be able to go. Another thing about the bus is so crowded with people sitting right on top of you, smoking in your face. So I remember it was a great thinking, it was Actually, it's worth doing this. Prabhupada went through so many difficulties to save us. So if we go through some minor difficulties to please him, then that is a great privilege. Another way we see Srila Prabhupada even now is seeing ISKCON as Prabhupada said. Prabhupada said, ISKCON is my body. So we always have to remember that this International Society for Krishna Consciousness is non different from Srila Prabhupada and how much Srila Prabhupada wanted this ISKCON movement to be successful. So there have been and continue to be, and no doubt there will be many discrepancies and difficulties within us, especially without the the personal, without Prabhupada to personally chastise us and keep us all in order, we sometimes tend to forget exactly what Prabhupada wanted us to do and how he wanted us to do things. And so sometimes life in Iskon has been unnecessarily very, very difficult. But when we remember that Srila Prabhupada considers Iskon to be non-different from him, then despite all ups and downs, we remember that we have to go on serving within his gun and cooperating with all the followers of Srila Prabhupada to try to make his mission a great success as it surely will be if we always remember that Srila Prabhupada is always with us, particularly in the form of his books, and that if we follow his instructions without deviating from them, inventing anything, changing anything, then we'll get all the blessings of Srila Prabhupada and through him all the blessings of the Guru Parampura, and we will never be separated from him. So, our memories of Srila Prabhupada are not just these personal anecdotes which have their own particular sweetness and value, but our whole life from now into time immemorial should be always remembering Prabhupada. And Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, always think of me. We cannot think of Krishna we cannot think of Krishna without thinking about Prabhupada because it was Prabhupada who gave us Krishna. So we are inextricably linked with Srila Prabhupada eternally. We don't want anything except we don't want any, we don't even want Krishna consciousness without Prabhupada. Because for us who have come in this corner, there's no meaning to Krishna consciousness without Prabhupada.